Yo, what is going on, baby? Nathan Kennedy, The New Money Podcast, episode 81. How y'all doing, man? Hoping you guys are enjoying your week. As usual, my friends, ask me any questions you guys have on Instagram, as well as if you are listening on Apple Podcasts. I would love, love, love if you could leave a review there. Now, guys, you know I'm always talking about investing in yourselves and in your future. And we here at the New Money Podcast are huge, huge fans of the stock market. But I could sit here all day long all day long and and you can listen to me all day long but if you're not actually out there taking action it's all for nothing you've got to go out and take that action today and that's why i think wealth simple trade and wealth simple invest are so great because they're so conducive in helping you take that action wealth simple trade is a commission-free platform you can buy stocks and etfs super straightforward simple and quick wealth simple invest is a robo advisor where they do all the work for you you just got to put the money in check out the show notes for links to either one i highly highly recommend it i really believe in these platforms I love these platforms. Go check it out, guys. I really do think it's a great idea. Holy smokes. I got a hell of an interview with Caleb Silver, who is the editor-in-chief of Investopedia. Now, if you've ever searched up any term that has to do with finance, like, I don't know, index fund, uh, credit limit, um, I don't know, fucking budgeting, anything really there's a good chance in that first home screen in those first few search results that Investopedia has come up. So I am like over the friggin' moon excited to bring this interview to you. Uh, Caleb's had a long career in business journalism and then he transitioned into Investopedia about five years ago. Uh, and now they're doing a lot of fantastic educational financial content around money and really getting a great message out there. And I think it was just I mean, I like literally like hunted this guy down to get this interview and um, I was just like so excited when he he was down to come on and he is just such an energetic, passionate, incredible guy to chat with. We have a fantastic conversation and man, I just like I say it every fucking week because it's the truth. I learned so, so much and I really think you guys are going to get a ton out of this. Here is Caleb Silver, editor in chief of Investopedia. Let's just dive on into it, baby. Caleb, how's it going? Great. Good to be with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm super, super excited to get into it. But really quick, uh, tell the people a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do. Well, I'm the editor-in-chief of Investopedia. And for folks that don't know, we are sort of the biggest online education site for learning how to invest, learning how to trade, learning about finance, learning about business. We have about 23 million worldwide users every month coming to us to get their questions answered about how to invest, how to trade, how to you know, set up a personal budget. So we've been around since 1999. I've been with the company as the editor-in-chief for about five years, five and a half years. And it's just getting better every year and delighted to be with you. I'm a lifelong business journalist, been in this game about 25 years and started at Bloomberg uh, as a cub reporter and a cameraman and as a producer, and then at CNN. And I've had stops in between as a documentary producer, but my passion is in money, news and education and storytelling in general. So it's a delight to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. What drew you, was was this sort of attraction to finance, business and money? Was that always sort of innate to you? Or did you see that develop as you went through your career and you found yourself being more drawn to those areas? Good question. My dad is an investment banker. So I grew up reading a lot of business plans, talking about entrepreneurship, 
visiting companies with him, uh, learning about companies by reading his copies of Fortune magazine or Forbes lying around or the Wall Street Journal. But I didn't think I wanted to get into that. I certainly didn't want to get into investment banking. I'm terrible at math. Don't tell anybody. But I was into journalism and into storytelling. And my first thing I did after college, where I was an art major of all things, was start my own documentary production company because I wanted to be a storyteller. I believed in journalism and in the power of stories. And that's what I started to do as a wildlife documentarian and doing environmental educational documentaries and ultimately working with Steven Spielberg and the Shoah Project. Storytelling was the name of the game, but I had a sense for business. I'd run a restaurant, I'd run a production company. So when I graduated graduate school at NYU in the 90s, 1990s, for you folks uh, in my age group, you know, business news was popping because internet stocks were really hot and heavy with pets.com and even the early days of Amazon and Yahoo and AOL companies you don't even know about anymore. That was happening as I was getting out of graduate school. I was interning with Bloomberg. I was in the mix in New York City. And that's how I got into business journalism, not because I wanted to at a young age, but maybe the confluence of what I grew up around and what I was doing as a journalist came together. Thank God. And here I am 25 years in. How has storytelling sort of evolved over time with respect to business? Because I feel like there's been sort of a, a glorification of entrepreneurship in these past few years. And I, and you know, more from corporate to entrepreneurship, at least how I've seen it. Obviously, I'm very young, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how um, business journalism has evolved and how you've seen the game sort of evolve. That's a great question. And obviously it's evolved and there's different ways of storytelling, but the basic narratives of companies and the people that run them and the people that are invested in them and the disruption of industries is as old as business. It goes back to pre-Babylonian Sumerian times, the hero worship of the CEO. Talk about the Rockefellers, Carnegie, uh, take it back even further, uh, even to Edison and folks like that. People were, have always been you know, worshiping corporate leaders and these personalities, the cult of personality around people who could completely change the way we spend money, the way we live our lives from Edison to Musk, from Jeff Bezos to you know Carnegie, it's all sort of the same type of story, the archetype, the rise and fall of the great corporation, the things that are coming into our life that will change everything about how we spend money and the way we live. That's always been here. It's just been accelerated by the pace of media and by the fact that we have all these different ways of communicating, whether it's Twitter or, or uh, CNBC or a newspaper like the Financial Times or TikTok. It's always been there. It's just different ways of getting it out. Right. So it's 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 like that. I think it. What's that thing called? It's like the the heroes, the heroes journey, the heroes. Yes, Joseph Campbell. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So as you said that, it it kind of played out. You laid it out beautifully there, and I'm like, yeah, I guess it is. Really, at the end of the day, it's that it's that sort of figure that leads them through the adversity, and and I think that's why, like you said, it's just been transmitted differently. But really, at the end of the day, it's it's that sort of you know. Um, hero's journey. And I, that's, that's insane. Yeah, so, go back, go find the first issues of fortune magazine. They're online or, yeah. or the early business magazines, even, even the wall street journal, Dow Jones, Charles Dow, um, you know, they were making a newspaper about business tracking stocks. But if you look at the early fortune magazines, it's all about that. You know, the cover story of, you know, whoever the CEO of the moment was, or the, the product that was going to change everything all the way back to the early days and and look at the you know the cover of the Wall Street Journal today or your pick your 
business magazine. It's very similar. So you were in business journalism and then you transitioned over into Investopedia. What made you want to join that sort of uh, uh, content platform and more from like, I guess, a, a journalism to an educational space? Sure. Well, we do a fair amount of news and journalism and it kind of the, the important part of what we do, and I'll get to it, is that you have to connect what's going on in the world today to our educational content to make it relevant to people like you and, and your, your friends, but also people my age and older. Investors, you know, from 18 to 80 are looking for ways to get smarter to make decisions. But if you don't put it in current context, it's just a bunch of theories. It's a textbook. So we wanted to bring our stuff to life. But let me take it back to your question, which is important. I grew up as a business journalist in my career chasing news. And in the places that I worked, Bloomberg, number one, CNN, number two, it's very much a push medium in that it's extra, extra, read all about it. This just in, this just happened, the latest update to this, this story is developing, breaking news. You're pushing content at the audience, even pre-internet, pre-search. That's what the function of those types of news organizations are. Investopedia is very different. We're an educational resource, but we're also, you come to us, not because you come to us every day, but because you come to us through a search, most likely. You know, 85, 90% of our traffic is people Googling something or coming to us through Bing or 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 Yahoo or pick your search engine. They're getting to us because they have a very specific question. So we're pulling them in because we have the best answer or we try to have the best answer to that question. It's a very different mentality than the the journalist in me that just wants to run after information, keep pushing it back out there to grab your attention. The thing about Investopedia is it's a bit, you're going through a very different door and people are coming through the back door, side door, basement, attic, all different ways to access the answer to the question. Mm-hmm. But we'll never win when it comes to competing on the news with mm-hmm. Dow Jones, with Bloomberg. We'll never be that. We never want to be that. We want to be the place where you may know what's going on and now you want to learn a bit, little bit more. What is short selling? What does it mean to buy put options? What does it mean? What is a short squeeze? What happened with GameStop? What are these things that are happening? And we're the place people come for that, the answer, once they're curious about something. So that's a different mentality. Now, I knew about Investopedia, probably like you knew about Investopedia. I used it a lot. It's been around my whole career. And I've been, the internet's been around my whole career too. So when I was trying to learn you know, as an art major, what a swap is or what a buyback is, I was going to Investopedia, which was started in 1999 by four Canadians in Edmonton, uh, up in Alberta, who had a great idea to, to put financial and investing definitions online and also create test prep content for people trying to get their Series 6, Series 7, and try to get into the financial world. Well, they had that great idea. I used it. And when I realized that they were looking for somebody to you know, rethink how they did content and how they communicated with their readers, I thought it was a great opportunity to use 25 years of journalism or 23 years of journalism at the time and help educate people with it. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I kind of just want to go back to that mentality shift that you talk about push versus pull. You know, I, I sometimes see content and articles like, you know, very flashy headline. Like I, I read an article, I think it was a few years ago that was like, you need to save at least half your income to retire. Like millennials will need to save half their income to retire, which in my opinion is a little misleading. And then it went on to go on to say, you know, here's here's what it's backed by. And it was backed by these 10 year forecasts by, I don't know, I think it was like BlackRock or Vanguard or something like that. But they were like the, the worst, worst case scenarios. So they're not necessarily 
not telling the truth, but obviously they're pulling a sort of narrative that they're trying to push versus where you guys are maybe taking a term or explaining the education behind it. And I think that's something that's the over embellishment to me is starting to get out of hand. And I think the education starting to offset it as, as we, as we, you know, release podcasts like this and different kinds of content, but kind of take me through that sort of like, did you ever feel like you were like, I don't know, maybe people were being misled and you felt like you almost had a duty to lead in a sense. Sure. And, and I was covering, as I said, I broke into the business news industry in the dot-com boom in the late nineties. And I even made some foolish trades and chased some, you know, some wild headlines and some pump and dump schemes as a novice trader investor thinking I could outsmart the market. So, you know, that, that was a good lesson in realizing that I didn't know what I didn't know, but there was so much information out there. Bloomberg was a great company because it did teach you those things as a journalist. You actually had to learn how the market worked, which I finally did. But at the same time, you know, it's not just a new thing either with, you know, uh, crafty headlines that try to lure you into a story because they're either trying to do it out of fear or they're trying to inspire you to buy something. You too couldn't find the next Amazon. That That is as old as business news as well. Like that's yeah. as old as time. And it yeah. used to be snake oil or it used to be tulips or it used to be, you know, a funny, you know, circle shaped thing that you could put under your cart and your horse could move it. And it was called a wheel. Like that happens all the time. So um, there was, a, there was a little bit of that. And, but there's also the fact that, you know, it's important for me because I'm a journalist first to do right and and to help people. Journalism, I think, would be a tool to actually help people. I honestly am naive enough to believe that still, but I really do. And if I wasn't going to be in the midst of the news and I really didn't want to be, 10 years at CNN was a lot, you know, to take on from a news, you know, to put on your back yeah. in news. Like, I didn't want that anymore. I didn't want to care about what I didn't want to care about. What I did want to do was use the power of news and education and storytelling and my ability to get it across to people to actually help people learn something useful as it relates to their money. And it's your money and your health are the two things we worry about the most. I could probably help with the former. Absolutely. So what? why do you think personal finance, as you know, financial literacy more so, was so inaccessible for so long? Why isn't it, you know, in your opinion, a foundational thing in our society? And do you see the tide sort of changing in the other way? Like, do you think that's, it's starting to come to a head? Yeah. I mean, obviously look at podcasts like you, you're democratizing it for everybody, for your listeners, which is great. Um, but I think it's also becoming more relevant and more important um, for a couple of reasons. Only in the U.S., and I'll speak to the U.S. for now, half of you know adults that can invest do invest. And that's a fair amount, whether that's passively through their 401k, their retirement programs, or if they're actively investing. Um, but financial literacy is only required in 22 or 23 states in high school in the U.S. So we're not teaching it young enough, yet a lot of people are getting into the market right after college and their first job when they start investing. So we have a huge gap there in what people know and what they don't know. We also have a lot of people that aren't exposed at all to the financial industry or to the stock market. And that's lower income people and that's people of color in this country that have been excluded from the process forever. And I think we have to do a better job of getting it to them because they're missing out on the best way to grow their wealth over time. And they've always been ignored and excluded. So we have a responsibility. And I think people are waking up to that. But we also have technology that makes it easier than ever to trade, to invest, to do research, to, to get involved. And it's right here on our phones, right? Yeah. It's coming to us all the time. And because it's so accessible, and I can buy, I don't have to afford a share of Amazon. I can buy a fractional share of Amazon if I want. Um, because it's so accessible, 
it's on these platforms and on platforms like Investopedia to educate people how to do it right. Because mm -hmm. the last thing you want is for to lose customers who get sick of it because they realize they, they can't figure it out or to bring them into a situation where they stand to lose a lot of their money or their life savings because they were misled or because they don't know what's going on. It's never been more accessible. It's never been more important. And it's never been more important to make it available to all communities. And that's why I think we're going to see more of it, hopefully. Absolutely. So as Investopedia has grown and it's shared more and more content, I'm sure that it's has looked up as ever right now with, with all the stuff that's going on. What challenges uh, is your company facing with cutting through the noise and educating people and really getting to the facts? Because I feel like sort of coming back to the journalism thing, there's a ton of spin that that's on everything right now. And it's it's hard to know what to actually believe. It's hard to know if you're being sold to or not. So how are you guys as a company cutting through that? And, and obviously you have the experience and the credibility to educate, absolutely. But even then, if I'm a new person looking up a term, you know, why should I trust Investopedia? Yeah, great question. And, you know, the the hard part about what we do is probably the most simple thing, which is make the best content on the internet. What is the best content on the internet? And I used to struggle with this all the time. My old boss used to say, the best content on the internet is whatever Google picks as number one. Um, well, I think most of the time that's right, or whatever search engine delivers the first result. But a lot of the time it can be gamed. Um, a lot of the time, you know, what seems like the right result to your question is actually disguised as something else. There's that. But We've been doing it for a long time, but the best thing that we can do and the hardest thing is making sure our content is the most trustworthy, the most authoritative, the most relevant, the most credible, and the most um, often linked to by other people. If a lot of people are backlinking to you and referencing you, and there are sites like, you know, like McGill University or uh, you know their site, or or even the Federal Reserve here in the U.S. Those authoritative backlinks are very important to your credibility, right? It shows people because it helps your results. It shows people that oh, there are other people that are linking to it. Um, so there's that. But you know, I think also behind the the algorithms and search engines are real people too who read your content, and they have them at Google, they have them at all the other search engines. They're real human beings who read the results when they put in a search, and if it's not if the result they're reading is not giving them the answer they need from a source that they believe that shows its credibility, its authority, and its trustworthiness, it will downrank it. So our business depends on us being trustworthy. So we have to do that. So that's one thing, just being on the site and hopefully people are looking things up and they're coming to us when they find it. And if they see us versus others, they say, oh, I know Investopedia and I trust them. They steered me right last time. They'll steer me right again. Oh, they, I came to Investopedia through, you know, my university's business pro, uh, MBA program because they ref, they backlinked it. I'm going to believe it. There's that. But then there's the other ways that we have to reach people. And it's not just through the site, right? So we have, you know, a really big audience on Instagram. Um, what do we do on Instagram? We do a lot of, a lot of educational content. Um, you know, we do some quotes and we do some promotional stuff, but we do a lot of educational content. Well, we have a really big Facebook audience. We do the same thing there, educational content. We are who we are. We never mm -hmm. try to be who we're not. We just launched a TikTok channel where I host a bunch of videos and we're not trying to be who we're not. I can't be the cute guy on this side of the camera. Now I'm on this side of the camera. Now I'm down here. Now I'm up here. I got to be me yeah. talking yeah. straight. You're yeah. hearing this, what a SPAC, you're hearing all about SPACs. I'm going to tell you what that is. Yeah. And people like that and they don't, I can be me. I don't have to try to pretend to be what I'm not. And the beautiful yeah. thing about us is 
we've never been anything but this. And it just happens to be super important to be a trustworthy educational site in an area where people really care right now. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I'll be honest. The reason I was just like, I, I honestly gunned after you and was messaging you and, and trying to, you know, reach out and things like that was I saw your TikTok page and I think I saw the first video and I was like, oh man, like I got to interview this guy. I got to get him on. And I was watching the content. I was like, oh man, this is like, it's it, first of all, I just want to commend you because you're you're very unique in how you're delivering because you're not trying to do anything crazy trendy, but you're very modern in your approach. You're very upbeat. The quality's there, and it's amazing. It's very very educational, and it's simple to understand. So like, awesome awesome stuff. But I'd say like I think that's the biggest thing is with with young adults and educating the next generation is you you have to go to the places where they are going to be and, and get on the platforms where they are and speak a language that they can actually understand. I, I always talk about how on this podcast, I always talk with people like, man, like I'm just trying to talk like me and you having a drink and, and we're just, listen, hey, how do, you know, what is this market? What is the stock market? Is, is it all a gamble? Like, how does it actually work? And and if you can just kick it to them nice and easy and straight, it, it'll, it'll resonate a lot more. So how have you found just in your personal life um, your sort of, not advice, but how you educate people around you about personal finance. Like, how have you found that that's evolved over time as things have sort of evolved around you? Yeah, great question. And I have teenage girls. And so they, if I pass the TikTok uh, smell test with them, I know I'm being fine. <laughs> and whenever I try to go outside of myself, they check yeah. me pretty quick. So, um, <laughs> but they're, they're, that's a good uh, that's a good segue because I have to explain what I do to them. And we have conversations every night at dinner, you know, sitting around the table. It's an important family time for us. You know, it's not me explaining the stock market to them, but if I'm telling them what I did, if I'm telling them I was on your podcast today and I'll tell them when I, tonight at dinner, I want to, you know, who's he, what's he, what's the podcast about? Why does he have the podcast? Or what did you guys talk about? You know, we'll talk about that. We'll get into it. But I also, you know, I want them to understand what I do and what my wife does and make sure they understand the way that we work, you know, in partnership as a family to, to, you know, pay the rent and make ends meet and do all those things. So, you know, being able to explain it to them is very important, but my relationship with it, that has changed over the years in a lot of ways, because when I first started as a business journalist all everything, uh, everybody wanted for me was stock picks, right? Mm. You know, I was in the nineties, like I said, late nineties and these stocks were popping and everyone was like, you know, what should I buy this? Or should I buy that? And I didn't know myself whether, you know, I, I didn't know right from wrong or what a good stock pick was or bad was, but, but I was trying to, you know, trying to come up with an answer for them. And I just couldn't, because I was really bad at that game. I don't do that anymore. I don't pick stocks. I'm a terrible stock picker. I'm one of the worst stock pickers you've ever met, which is yeah. why I like buying ETFs or index funds. And so when people are asking me about advice, I like to break it down with them. Like, what are your goals? You know, yeah. I still get the question, should I buy, you know, lemonade or Amazon? I'm like, well, what's your, what's your plan here? So being able to like peel it back, like a great financial advisor and my financial advisor does for me, I try to do for them. Like, let's step it back. What are you actually yeah. trying to do here? Yeah. You make some money real fast. Yeah. Well, let's figure that out. Or are you trying to invest long-term? So I'm able to have a much more educated conversation about it. Mm -hmm. And I sound smart, even though I still don't feel like I'm that smart at all because I've been <laughs> doing it a long time. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because, you know, whenever I get somebody that reaches out in the show, I don't really say much. I just ask questions. I just say, hey, listen, like, what are you trying to do? Like, where are you trying to go? And like, 
how are you trying to make money and you know what what do you got on the on the go and like i think once you get into those sort of questions they just answer it themselves and i find that whenever i have a question for somebody or i you know reach out to somebody it it just ends up them questioning me and i just come to the answer myself and i think that's 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 one of the best ways you can go about it because you just coach them through that and you help them understand and i think that's a big misconception that I see with with some content creators is just prescribing and and you know giving people fish versus teaching them how to fish. And I think you guys do a fantastic job of that. How would you suggest that somebody in you know in their you know early mid even late twenties early thirties how should they go about taking their money seriously? What are some first like crucial steps that you would suggest so they can start building wealth? Great question. Um, we always say the best day to start investing was yesterday. The next best day is today. Um, so if you can invest, you should invest. But what you can pretty much always do, unless you're really um, you know, going through a bad spot, is you can always pay yourself first and you can always have a plan to do that. So what do I mean by that? If you get a paycheck, if you're working and you're making some money and you're able to pay the rent and put food on the table and take care of your family, there's always going to be some way to pay yourself first and you need to make that automatic. And by paying yourself first, that could mean paying yourself first into your savings account if you need to build up your savings or paying yourself first into an investment account and not thinking too hard about what stocks am I, about, what am I investing in, but just getting yourself into that mental habit of 10% goes to the house every time. 10% goes to the house every time and the house is you and that how you set up your house, whether it's a savings plan or whether it's investing in the stock market in an index fund over time, or maybe there's 10 stocks you like and you, you buy a little bit, you know, 10 bucks worth every month, every time, consistent dollar cost averaging, consistent plan, doing it, making it a habit and making it automatic. That's a great place to start. But also back to what we were saying, I want to appeal everything back and go, what am I trying to do here? Why do I want to invest or save or build long-term wealth? Is this the retirement thing? Money so I can chill when I'm 55, 65, 70? Yeah. Um, or is this, I want to buy a house money? Is this 10 years, buy a house money or five years, buy a house money? Mm -hmm. Depending on the answers to those questions will actually dictate your investing or your saving strategy. If you need money in the next year, the stock market's the wrong place to be, right? You can't depend on it. Mm -hmm. If you got some time, the best thing you have in, 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 in your case, if you're in your 20s, is time. Even your 30s and 40s, time is your best friend. But you have to decide what you're trying to do and then set up your strategy. But the, number, the strategy comes from those North Star goals. What's my North Star? I definitely want to have some retirement money, but I also want some asset purchase money. And I also want some money to, you know, we're having our first kid. I want to make sure I have enough money for that. So different right. buckets require different strategies. Right. And how does somebody reconcile with, I guess the gravity of that, right? You think about like, I feel like when some people start to think about those big picture things, they might get discouraged or they might get overwhelmed. So, you know, how do they think of the big picture without getting overwhelmed is I guess what I'm asking. It's 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 so hard. And, you know, you you mentioned earlier, why don't we have, why wasn't financial literacy a bigger deal? And why, were, why wasn't it pushed harder? People get bored, confused, they gloss over, they, you know, I, I know it, I've, I, it happens to me and it happens to my family when I'm talking to them. You start talking to them about money. They ask you a question oh, and yeah. then everybody just goes. And <laughs> that's because, you know, we, the financial industry and the media and guilty as charged have made it too complicated um, because that's kind of what we do. And that's certainly what the financial industry does. They want to make it complicated. So you have to, you know, pay them to figure it out. Um, 
but the best products are the ones that are most simple and the most easy to understand. So there's that, but you also have to have the resources to be able to stop and go, wait a second, what's really the difference between trading and investing? I knew there was a problem the other day when I saw somebody's grandmother asked them, I heard a, a, a young guy living in his mom's house named Robin Hood took over the stock market and made everything crash. <laughs> oh. oh, man. When you hear things like that, you're like, whoa, okay. People yeah. don't understand what's actually happening in the world, right? What's the difference between trading and investing? What's the difference between a correction and a crash, a bear market and a bull market? Um, what does the stock market typically do in a year? You know, it's expensive. It's going to crash. It's too high. It's too low. You know, everybody's caught up in the in the expressions or the, you know, the figures of speech they've heard around the stock market and investing, but they don't know the, the facts, the actual truth, the fundamentals about the returns over time and the power of compound interest and the magic of long-term investing. You know, the, these are true phenomenons of, of the modern world, but people, they get glossed over when you start talking to them about it because it's not on terms that they can understand. And we have to bring it to a level where everybody can get it. How have you found with your content strategy? And I, and I guess I have a, actually I'll separate the questions. Firstly, I have a bad habit of asking like four questions at once. <laughs> How are you catching attention with long-term concepts? I'm, I'm always interested when, you know, when some people, whenever they say, oh, you know, if you invest for 40 years, you can't even say the figure because people have already checked out. So how is Investopedia, how, how is the content on the website and the social media, et cetera? How are you guys grabbing and sustaining attention with big picture thoughts? Sure. It's, uh, it's very hard to do that. You know, when you're in the middle of a, of a phase where, or one of those manias where, you know, there's a lot of day trading going on and everyone's excited about these single story stocks. And, you know, that's, that's a completely different conversation than the one that we, we really need to have, which is, you know, what the, showing people the power of investing for the long term and the joy in learning about it and making it a lifelong habit that helps you build wealth for the things you want so you can buy time effectively. So how do you get through? Well, I think there's the, the very basic things, which is, are we answering people's questions? And there's only one way to know if you're answering people's questions in our business, which is, what is traffic like? And what are people asking us? Like, well, I'm looking at the most popular content right now, and people are asking about what are the most, you know, what are the best platforms to start investing? How do I invest? Start investing $10,000. That tells us there's a lot of search for that. That tells us there's a lot of people who are learning right now who are just starting and they need to be taught a very certain way. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, well, they're looking for a simple article, number one, but they're also probably looking for a little video step-by-step. Step. Do we have little videos inside of our articles that actually help people learn step-by-step? They also probably want to know the differences between the online investing platforms. Do we have reviews where we're answering those questions? And then how are we organizing the content finally? Are we doing it in a way where if you come in because you've asked that question, how do I start investing with $10,000? That when you're reading that article, there's other articles in that link to that article or in the, on the margin of that article that are part of a journey that are going to take me to the next logical place I want to go. If I've come in that door, there should be other doors I want to go through. We want to make sure those doors are there. So we've organized our content in what we call journeys because we realize you're asking a question, but you're probably asking, you're, you're probably thinking about a bunch of these questions around the same theme. And that's how we're organizing the content for you today within journeys. Guess what? Users really like that. They spend more time on our website reading our content when we organize it that way. Guess what? The more people like that and start doing that, the more traffic we have. That's really good for our business too. Mm 
So by doing right by the reader, we do right by their by our business. Absolutely. So when you talk about the sort of practical steps to actually going and, and guiding them through that journey, and, and you know, obviously you've seen a lot of uh, platforms like Robinhood or like Wealth Simple in Canada who who have made investing super accessible, very straightforward, very user friendly, a very you know Gen Z friendly, millennial friendly, etc. Obviously, we saw with Robinhood that they had to put in some restrictions because their clearinghouse was all messed up and all that stuff. We know that's, that's beside the point. And, you know, a lot of people said that they can't do it, free market, this, 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 that, and the other. But I remember that a number of months ago, there was a, uh, unfortunately a tragedy with Robinhood. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, it was one of those things where, where's Robinhood? Where's the regulation? How is it this easy? So I'm just curious you know, when we think of these platforms that are innovating and making it super easy and making it super conducive and getting pe- all these people in the market, all these users and things like that, how do you think, what's the responsibility of these platforms to to sort of nurture that process as you talked about with the, you know, guiding the journey and things like that? I'm at a loss to try to figure out what the role of the platforms are. So I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on that. I think their responsibility is immense. Um, and that was a serious tragedy with the, the Robin Hood customer and the, and the that kid and his family. Um, now, the the reality is this: these platforms, especially the ones that offer free trading, when they offer something for free, that means you, the customer, are the product. You, your data, your trades, and that's basically how they make money. If anybody wants to know how Robinhood makes money, it's on our site. They sell your order flow, and that's how most brokers uh, make a lot of their money. They sell they sell their order flow to clearinghouses, but they all say they're all about education. And some of them really are. Robinhood, in fact, has a lot of pretty good education on its site. Now, is it front and center? Does it get more attention than the confetti they rain on you when you make a trade? You know, people want to get on there to make trades, to make money so they can, you know, make some profits and get some attendees or whatever. That They want to do that. Do they want to stop and get the education? I would say some people do. Most people are in there to make to, to trade, and they went to the platform that makes it the easiest, where it was free initially, and that's why Robinhood is as popular as it is. It's a hell of an app. They do have education, but their business is in the you know is in selling those trades and those flows, and that's what they do. But all the other ones do too, and they all have their own educational components. We work with a lot of them on building that education. They're serious about it. They know that an educated customer is a better customer that's going to be with them for life. That said, the priority is always going to be making money and finding different products to sell uh, or offer to their customers because at the end of the day, a lot of them are either publicly held or privately held, and they're in the business of, of making money, and they have to do that. That said, it won't be a very long-term business if their customers, you know, lose a lot of money and stop trusting them and lose their trust in the platform and the brand in general. Anybody can tell you that. And I think they know that too. Um, so they have an intense responsibility to do that and they got to take it more seriously. I think that they are and that they will. Absolutely. And I, I agree. And I think it's looking like that they've really seen that they have that responsibility. And I think a lot of these platforms kind of got put on on notice with with that sort of thing is like hey like don't do that like <laughs> you know kind of kind of closing it off a little bit here what's your sort of i guess if you don't mind sharing like your grand vision for investopedia i'm just curious where you see uh, the platform going where you see personal finance on the internet going and with you know all these new social media apps and all these different things that are emerging what what's your sort of vision for the the company you know as i said we're 23 years old which is internet years is like 230 years old 
Um, so it's amazing to still be here and going strong and, and business has never been better. Um, so we're in a really good spot right now. That said, because we're 23 years old, we have a lot of old stuff on the site still. You know, We're in this constant process of improving and updating all of our articles, making them better, putting new case studies, putting new charts, graphics, and videos. You know, Learning has come such a long way. The way we learn, the way we process information, especially in finance and investing, it's come a long way. Our content has to be there. And, and to, to borrow a Canadian analogy, we have to skate to where the puck is going. So where is the puck going? The puck is going to much more visual learning. The puck is going to much more tools-based learning. Our most popular page on our site is our stock simulator. Um, tens of thousands of people join a new game every month to learn how to trade for the first time. They come to us for that. It is such a gift and a blessing and a responsibility to make sure that we have all the right educational tools and content to help these people because they're going from us onto an online platform, whether it's a Robinhood, a Fidelity, a, a Wealthsimple, a, a Schwab, they're going out there into the world. So we want to make sure that they learn. So improving our tools, improving the multimedia way we educate people um, so that we have an answer for everybody. If you are an audio learner, then I want to make sure that I have a really good webinar where you can listen to me and learn how to uh, what the rule of 72 is and how you can use it in your investing. If you are a visual learner, I want to make sure we have a, a class for you you could take to learn how to options trade. If you're a tools-based learner, I want you to be able to use our simulator, do something, trade on your phone, uh, do some swaps on your phone just to see what would happen if you did it this way so you can learn right from wrong. We want to put all those things together, but also make them unique and on platforms where everybody can get them. So we want the all-you-can-eat buffet in trading and investing in personal finance. Um, yeah. But we also want you to be able to come in and say, I'm feeling like a little vegetarian meal today. I'm just going to have these things and this is the way I'm going to take it. Um, so for everyone in any way they want to learn and explore the content, but I'll tell you what, because we're been around so long and people trust us, um, we're off to a great start. And it's just a question of, you know, really staying true to the reader and what they want because we, the, we don't survive without answering their questions. Yeah. And, and that's what we've been doing. And we, I think we have lots of good years of that in front of us. That's absolutely incredible, Caleb. And I just wanted to say really quickly, you've been incredibly energetic and passionate and incredible and insightful about everything that we've talked about today. So I wanted to thank you so, so much. And I got one more question for you. What's one thing in your opinion that sets apart uh, somebody who's going to be successful with money, with just in general versus not. What's your one trait or one aspect that you personally think is one of the biggest drivers of that? I'm going to give you two, but the, the number one is resourcefulness. You have to be resourceful, right? It doesn't always roll your way. It rarely rolls your way, but how can you roll with it once it doesn't? Like Bruce Lee used to say, be like water. You know, yeah. let it flow and find the flow. And I, I think that that's it. Um, but it also pays a lot to be good to people and to be kind. And my sister is a champion of that. She's, uh, you know, the, the the big heart in our family and the chief heart officer at, at Vayner uh, Media. And her whole thing is about kindness and giving to other people to lift them up. Because when you lift them up, they're going to lift 10 people up with them. And that I really believe in. And she taught me that. So, but the resourcefulness, you got to have that if you want to survive and if you want to thrive. And then the kindness to be able to, to, to have the gratitude and the, and the energy to give to other people to make them succeed. I think you have those two things and you'll go a long way. Beautiful, beautiful. VaynerMedia has a, a chief heart officer. Yes. And you should have her on your podcast because I got a lot of energy, but she's got all the kindness and energy in the world. 
Oh, I'd love that. That'd, that'd be incredible. Chi heart. I, that's so intriguing. I love that. And I think Gary V talks about like empathy and, and all that uh, incredible stuff. And wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll have to to chat with her. But Caleb, that's that's all I have. I've taken enough of your time. Thank you so so much for coming on, man. It was such a treat to chat with you. Really quick, <laughs> we talked about it the whole podcast. But where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me. I'm the easiest person in the world to find. Caleb Silver on Twitter at Caleb Silver, C-A-L-E-B-S-I-L-V-E-R. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on our website. I'm on TikTok through TikTok through Investopedia. So follow us on TikTok, but give me your comments because I'm sitting there hosting them down from my home office. You know, got all these lights and cameras. I feel like a, you know, a narcissist down here doing it. Um, but I would love your comments on how to, how to make it better. But I'm really easy to find and really easy to connect with. And I try to respond to everybody. I have a couple of newsletters that go out every day, market some in the afternoon and the express in the morning. But we have about five or six newsletters at Investopedia if you want to follow us to help you stay educated, stay in the know, whether if you like news or just the educational stuff, like I said, we're a buffet. So come and get what you want. And I'm delighted to have spent some time with you. And, and I applaud you on doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And I really appreciate that. And again, such, such a treat. Uh, you know, hopefully I can have you on sometime. But if not, uh, thank you so much for coming on again. I'll be happy to come on anytime you need me. And you stay well. Thanks for having me, dude. So there you have it, my friends. Wow, 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 wow. This guy, man. <laughs> he was this guy was so sick, man. I remember just sitting there trying to act all cool and shit. I'm like, yo, this guy's so 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 dope, man. It was such a it was like I was like, wow. Like some of the stuff that he was saying was like resonating with me so deeply with with, you know, my content and like how I want to get my message across and uh, different things that I can be thinking about to um, embark on this mission of, of educating people and talking about this kind of stuff. And I mean, what a what a storyteller this guy is. Can you I can fuck it. I can tell this guy used to work at CNN. I can tell this guy used to work on uh, Wall Street journalism and things like that. Like he, the energy is just there. And um, wow. Wow, just such a fantastic interview. I really, really hope you guys did enjoy that. Reminder again, Wealth Simple Trade, Wealth Simple Invest. Let's get our wealth building journey started. Link is in the show notes below. Start, get it started. Nobody's going to start for you. Let's get after it. But that's all I really have for you guys this week. Thank you so, so much for coming on and listening to the show. I will be back Sunday. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. But for now, I'm out this mother. Peace.